Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides on the quest to RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. In our main podcast episodes, we discuss D&D 5e's core rules and ever-expanding content, while also showcasing other RPG systems and bringing you fresh, new projects from indie content creators. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world you're playing in, because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. Hello, this is Mike Daniel, host of 19 Hits the Dragon, the bi-weekly podcast where I interview creators from the tabletop RPG community and get answers to the long-awaited questions like, um, how are you so talented? Where do you get all of your ideas and how can I do that for myself? Deal with situations like, or have you ever seen a giant earthworm? Those things are terrifying. Cover hot takes. Know the rules, but know that they can be broken. And especially if it just makes it way cooler and more fun, then break them! And of course, highest level of professionalism here on 19 Hits the Dragon, as always. So just search 19 Hits the Dragon on your podcast platform of choice, and then go out and tell 19 of your closest friends. And we'll see y'all there. Bye-bye! everybody to today's episodes i am josh joined as always by my dear friends luanika and glenn but what i was going to say is that i am of two hearts about this episode this evening my friends because i am very excited to be talking about the bard class and this is our very last class discussion we have talked about all 12 core classes we've talked about the artificers we've talked about the blood hunters Bards is going to be our last one. But before we get into that, Mr. Miller, Mr. Myers, good evening. How are things in the the wonderful state of Connecticut, where I will be in a mere couple of weeks? Right, which we're super excited about. That'll be a blast. Uh, Things are good down here for me. Been going well, having a good time getting ready for our one playtest AP that's coming up. Y'all will hear more on, on that later. Excellent. Very excited about that. Things are going very well. I, too, share your mixed feelings about the bard discussions that we're having tonight. All these subclasses, just about a year of content that we've put out regarding this. It's interesting that it's summed up in this episode with bards as our final. And I say that because in the last week, we have done our bard class warfare, which very much gave me a lot of fuel for the discussions we're going to have tonight. I also played in a once a quarter, couple times a year game called the fifth edition, which is a party of all bards that run by Benito Sinese. Jeez. Yeah. I will claim ownership on the name fifth edition. I did come up with that one. That was me. Um, And I, we had a blast. It was so fun. So I have actually had this week, a lot of bard stuff going on and seen almost every bard subclass played in the last week alone, just between the class warfare, that game, and some bard stuff that I did over the weekend as well. I am excited for this and really ready to jump in. I think I probably better prepared for this single discussion than any other class discussion we've had. There's a joke in there somewhere, my friend, but I'm going to go ahead and leave it on the table. It's just a... Just a <laughs> You're nicer than me. So you, you mean you read these? 
I read them all. I just have a lot more immediate playing experience yeah. this time around. Of course, uh, are, I couldn't help it though. That was the, the yeah. low hanging fruit. I could not resist, but swinging at like a freaking yeah. pinata. Yeah. You yeah. have to. You absolutely have to. Dare I say this is our swan song? So we got to yeah. come out with our best. Let's let's carry on then with what's going to be a wicked bad episode. And that a was wicked bad even episode. Even, even my Boston accent was bad on that one. That was right. awful. Such, such a pissa. Such a pissa. Exactly. Let's go ahead and and dive in here. And I think the first thing that I want to go ahead and start with tonight is exactly where you brought us, Luanika, is talking about kind of the fallout, maybe fallout's the wrong word, but maybe the reactions to our Class Warfare episode. Because I think I will kind of speak to my character, that I definitely went into that Class Warfare with a game plan and an intent on how that character was going to run. The Class Warfare episode will be out on Tuesday. You'll be able to go ahead and listen to that. But basically, I was playing a College of Valor fighter-style bard. I wanted to be the tank. I wanted to be up close and personal. I wanted to be in the melee. And what struck me most is that was even that character that was built specifically for that in mind. Like, his feats were geared there. Their their stats were geared that way. The sword that he took, the armor that he took, everything was geared that direction. And even at the end of the day, with all of that going pushing him towards a fighter style bard, he was still a better spellcaster than a fighter. And that's the thing that I think struck me more about bards than anything else, that I think that their spellcasting ability really gets swept under the table. They are seriously strong spellcasters, and that's really where we have to start tonight. I would absolutely agree, and at several times during the past year when we've talked about different classes and subclasses, or just our general discussions, We have collectively, the three of us, I think each of us have made the mistake at some point where we have thought of the bard as a half spellcaster for some reason. That speaks to the thought process on them. Their perception. Their perception, but it is absolutely not the reality. Us playing that, we three, we happy three, playing the bards. Yes, I went Shakespeare on this because it is, of course, St. Crispin's Day. It is St. Crispin's Day. I at smile the time of this recording. You. Yeah, yeah, we happy few. We actually got to see that you really shouldn't play a bard as strictly a thing who also casts. They are really built to be a caster who can do many things in many avenues. And yep. it really did change the way I looked at building them from the way I built them. If I went back to how I built the character Bodhi for my campaign that Glenn played, I would probably have made some pretty significant changes in spell selection from what Glenn started with. He actually made many of those changes himself through playing them because he just asked me, he's like, can I do this or that? And I was like, yeah, do it. Make make it your own. But there are some things that I would definitely change about the way that character got built because of what I now know. So it's one of those things where play it, listen to this episode, re-listen to this episode, re-listen to this episode, and you're going to you're gonna get a lot of what we're talking about as far as the things that come up, the things that don't come up in a few cases, and where to really get some good role-playing mileage out of these characters. Glenn? I didn't expect him to peter out that quickly. <laughs> no, that was a stop. I'm... <laughs> I'm trying so, to be disciplined here, baby. All right, yeah. fair. Let me jump in on my take on the spell casting for bards. I think y'all are spot on. Bards are a primary caster, not a secondary caster. And I've often thought of them that way. I even said it in an episode a little while ago when we corrected me, when we looked at stuff. It's not. They get third level spells at fifth, just like a wizard, just like a cleric. Their spell progression follows full caster. Their spell list doesn't, is my opinion. And I'm going to expand on that a little bit. I think the problem with the Bard is their spell list, and there's a lot of people that are going to argue with me. I'm going to preface this by saying that there are some really awesome spells on it. But their spell list is lackluster. It's almost like they planned the Bard's spell list to be humdrum utility until they get magical secrets and then dip into other spell lists for the cool spells and that's the wrong way to do it for a main caster in my opinion you can play a full spell casting bard and have fun with it but they just don't have the same versatility across their spell list that a wizard does to be able to approach all problems with magic the same way obviously they don't have the firepower of fireball and until you get to some higher levels 
as we definitely have learned some of the higher level bard spells especially yeah. for the area effects like synaptic, synaptic static etc can be yep. very powerful we, we uh, especially early on plants a lot <laughs> early on you're the off healer and you poke people with a pointy stick that's what a bard does and part of the reason for that and this is where I think a lot of people lose the bard because, and it's where I used to lose the bard, is that I only thought of their utility in that one point where everything is broken down into piece by piece mechanics in the game, the measurable piece of the game, combat. So much of the bard is flavor, is role play, is interaction with the world itself. And they have a lot of abilities that lean into that that other characters don't. Arguably, the rogue has almost as many just from different avenues, maybe. But I think that's the piece that people – that's what makes them feel like half a class in the end. Because no matter what you do to them, they can't stand toe-to-toe -to -toe and fight. They can take a hit or two, but they can't, they, they can't step, step all the way up into that tank role or even the off-melee person role. And they don't have, except for throwing out aid and buffs, they don't have any spell, especially at early levels, any, a whole lot of spell selection that's going to help them in that most mechanically measurable part of the game, which is combat. Yeah. That's my take. Yeah. Rambling, I, long, but there you go. I think you're not off as the way it started, and I do believe they tried to answer that with Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. I yep. think the optional spell list, which if you're playing a bard, you should take that. If you're on D&D Beyond, select your added feature. It's an added feature. So it's not like you have to drop something else to get these extra spells. Provided your um, storyteller allows it. Pr provided yeah. your storyteller allows it. Note the storytellers, allow it. Note the players, ask for it. Think this helps that situation. Color spraying command are nice first levels. Aid in large and reduced can be very useful in in combat. I think it allows the creativity that you expect with the bard with some combat applications and some utility applications outside of combat. And then you have mirror image. Going on, third level, intellect fortress, mass healing word, and slow. Again, that off healer thing, it augments that a little bit with the with those spells, gives you some more utility. Fourth level, phantasmal killer. Don't knock a fourth level spell when it does good stuff. I think that's one that really adds to the combat ability of a bard. Rarius telepathic bond, again, your utility is being amped up here. That's your fifth level. Sixth level, Heroes Feast. Your utility, your ability to benefit the party, support your party is there. Seventh level, Dream of the Blue Veil and Prismatic Spray. I'm not terribly familiar with those spells, so I'm going to defer to other people's judgment on those. I didn't get a chance to really look those up in detail. But Antipathy and Sympathy are good utility-type spells that will help at eighth level pretty powerful, as an eighth level spell should be. And finally, Prismatic Wall. That is the uh, one of those ultimate utility type spells. It's going to do what it does and extremely well. And at those higher levels, because you already have your magical secrets now at various levels from other spells, you can further augment. So I think they kind of heard your concern, Glenn, and they tried to answer it. Did they answer it perfectly? Yeah. There's probably some debate there. I lean towards maybe not perfectly, but I think they filled a lot of the gaps with that additional spell list. You know, they definitely did. You can attest to this, Lee Winnicka. This is the first edition where I've actually liked parts. Mm. So they've done a lot to bring it in fifth with what they've done in 5th edition and with the additional changes that came out with Tasha's and the other books since. They've done a lot to bring it forward enough that to me it is now a playable class. I used to wouldn't play a bard. Now I will. And I would play any of the subclasses we're going to talk about, too. Yeah, Except for maybe one I'd for me. be jumping up and down about a couple of them, <laughs> but I would do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I could yeah. make them fun. But it's still got a ways to go. We'll see what 1D&D does with it. Actually, I, we've already got that tease since the Bard came out in yeah. the Experts. I'm excited to both see what comes out in 1D&D for Bards. But also, let's remember, too, that Bard had that awesome subclass, the Cardomancy subclass, or the Cardomancy spell list, really. It was opened up to Bards in that UA. So I'm excited to kind of see what that does. Like Those spells were no joke. That was a really nice addition onto the Bard. But I just want to go ahead and touch on one thing that you said earlier, Glenn, before we kind of move on, and it's that 
I was able to tank as my bard. That was not the problem. I was able to get in there. I was able to deflect hits. I was able to go ahead and draw attention. That was all fine. Ultimately, at the end of the day, the reason why I stopped tanking is because I was doing more damage as a spellcaster than I was as a fighter with my actual weapon. And so after a while, like if I'm five feet from the bad guy casting psychic lance at them, why? That's stupid. So get 30 feet away. Be 60 feet away casting psychic lance instead. Right. Yeah, instead the only purpose... 30 at that point yeah. was to stop him from be- getting on your friends. Exactly, right. And it was like and it wasn't like I had anything I didn't really have the ability to keep him from doing that. I didn't have the ability to keep him from running away from me. I could just when he ran away from me, I could run after him and hit him again and then he'd want to hit me again. You know, especially so that, since but, his ability yeah. denied opportunity attacks. Exactly, exactly, right. Yeah. But your point is not lost though. They are not tanks. They can fill the role and that's the thing that bards do. They fill a bunch of different roles as needed. And that's, and that's what I mean. If you're playing in some of the online games like World of Warcraft or any of the other incarnations from Asheron's called EverQuest to Dark Age of Camelot, a tank isn't a DPSer. A tank is just a, a damage soak. And the Bard right. can do that in medium armor with their hit points and their ability to heal themselves. Yep. They can do that piece of the tank's job. But in D&D, the tank has a dual role. They have to both absorb damage and apply DPS in order... Yep. For the party to be able to effectively mow through bad guys, yeah, and the bard they, they just need to be taking apply, out the minions. Yeah, they cannot apply DPS with their weapons. They almost, and honestly, we we see it in the one D and D. They take away rapier and they make short sword a simple weapon. They're they that is saying that they're realizing that maybe we put too much of a focus on the weapons and made people look for more from a melee bard than a melee bard's really going to be able to provide. Real quick, can you describe what DPS is for audience members who may not be familiar with the gate with the uh, video gamer lingo? Okay, fair fair enough. DPS is damage per second. In a video game where it happens in real time, the higher your DPS, regardless of how much you do on your weapon, because it's a calculation of how fast you swing plus the amount of damage you do per hit, yada yada. That's a more complicated expression of damage than D and D actually uses, but they need to be able to put out damage as well. We're yeah, probably think- in the D and D world. We're really looking towards damage per round or per attack. Yep. But the phrase DPS is fairly universal in gamer circles. Certainly, is in we our could make it damage per shot. Yeah. Dam- damage per shot. I like that. Yeah. For role playing perspective. Yeah. To put it maybe more in a D and D five kind of perspective, too, the tank's role is not just to keep the bad guy occupied, but is also to go ahead and and keep the minions occupied so that the rest of the party can focus their range stuff on the big bad. So that's, they need to be able to go ahead and, oh, there's a mini, there's an orc running by. Nope, there's no more orc running by now because I just gacked him. Nope, there's a goblin running by. Well, me with my three attacks, I'm going to go ahead and get the goblin as it's running by. I've got my opportunity attack. I'm going to make sure I've got, I've got reactions that are squared. I've got bonus actions that are squared to go ahead and keep, to keep the battle where I want it to be more than anything else. Absolutely. One last thing, talking about D&D Beyond, then we'll move on to the, to the with the discussion. The one last thing about 1D&D that I really liked is the bardic inspiration and that die as a reaction as opposed to a, a physical die that you hand to another player that they get to hold until they need it. Uh, it. Fantastic. It is change. such a brilliant thing, and I only bring that up to this to say it is such an impressive and important rule, and I so intend to be speaking on that fully when we're done tonight. I'll be filling out my survey tonight, as a matter of fact. Yep. But I have already started telling the players at my tables, that's how I would like Bardic Inspiration to be run at my tables now. I don't care if it breaks anything yep. else in the game. That is so cool for Bards, and it will ru- and will totally get rid of the problem of people forgetting they have that bardic inspiration or forgetting all. to use it because a lot of times bards forget to use it in favor of other pieces of the action economy even on our own bardic class warfare all of you could have walked into that with bardic inspiration yeah you knew each other you knew you were walking into a fight once you passed that wall but you didn't think to every time right? i thought about it it was a moment it had to too be done late. in advance making it a reaction yeah. being able to say you got this bro just as you're about to fail so you take that extra step that's what's going to really make the bard sing. And yeah, I think that's going to yeah. be a huge, so huge. If you're deal. listening to the sound of my voice tonight or in your car, wherever you listen to this podcast, we're rolling with the one D&D rule starting now. Absolutely. 
<clears throat> so the one thing that I will say that reading through kind of the bard class as a whole, and this is a flavor thing more than anything else. I'm a musician. My background is in music and everything like that. But they really tied the, the, the musical theme to a bard into so many different pieces on here. I actually thought that it was a little heavy because I think that there are a lot of different types of bards that can be out there. And there's a, lot of there's a lot of flavor that could have been put onto bard that wasn't specifically musical. And I wish that they had they thought about that a little bit more because I think that's part of why we see like a lot of the bard tropes that we see coming out is because the of the saniness. way that the, the flavor, yeah, the way that the flavor is written in here. And so even as a musician, that's a bummer because like I think that there's a bunch of ways that bards could be played, and it really takes a creative player to look beyond what is in kind of the corpus of the rules <laughs> to go ahead and, and a cooperative storyteller to kind of work out how that's going to be. If I wanted to be a storytelling bard or if I wanted to be a poetry bard or an artist bard or something like that. Can you imagine a bard who paints false doorways a la Wile E. Coyote? Oh, you know, kind of thing. No, go ahead. Yeah. That is where I'd say to play a bard and some of the bard options that we're going to talk about in our subclass rankings, you really need the right group so the other players have their buy-in. You need the right storyteller so he crafts adventures and moments that will allow you to shine, and you need that right type of campaign. So you're going to have to do some special things to get the most out of what a bard could be or to get those other visions. Otherwise, bards tend to fall into this very samey type of direction where you, this may be an eloquence bard, this may be a, a valor bard, or this may be another bard, with the exception of the ones who choose to do dance as their performance or something like that, they're all going to pretty much follow a very straightforward path and uh, which is odd to me because i think bards should not follow that straightforward path so you brought up dance i have another bard college idea that i'm going to throw out there called college of maybe the sword dance or dancing sword something along mm -hmm. those lines it's about a dance right now and now we're going with the guy who taught aria stark yeah the blade for that kind of a finesse fighter and like they'd ever get hit with crazy ac bonuses and stuff was, that uh, could be a fun melee-ish bard because it, it that was a lyria wasn't it that. Yeah. yeah anyway that, yeah no that's a fantastic idea so let's talk about the other big mechanical ape in the room when it comes to the bards and that's that their subclasses and we're going to talk about the subclasses obviously in in detail in our next episode but the subclasses suffer from kind of the cardinal sin that Lewinika has described to subclasses and Glenn both have ascribed to subclasses in every conversation that we've ever had, and it's that their abilities do not come at consistent levels. Bard gets a subclass ability at six, and then they don't get their next and their alpha subclass ability until level 14. And I think, again, that really contributes to the sameness feeling of bards. There's a reason why bards have stereotypes and have tropes that are repeated over and over again and it's because for eight levels every bard's the same and not only for eight levels but for eight very key levels we've talked about before about how meat, most campaigns the meat and potatoes of the bard most campaigns don't go into tier four most campaigns peter out around tier three and they don't they get a, a, a subclass ability at the beginning of tier two and the end of tier three and so for the bulk of that campaign and most likely the pinnacle of that campaign every bard gets the same thing. And I really think that, and particularly with bard, we've seen this obviously in other classes too, where they get them at inconsistent levels. But I think particularly with bard, bard suffers for it. And I think even some subclasses in particular suffer more than others on that. But I think that that was a big mechanical flaw that kind of Wizards of the Coast baked into the cake of the bard and screwed it from the very beginning. And I think that they tried to fix a lot of that with the huge number of optional rules that they gave bards in Tasha's, but it's still, it, that's a big glaring flaw in the game mechanic for playing a bard. I would absolutely agree. I think three, six, and 14, while it covers once per tier, 
is still not enough to separate your subclass from every other subclass within your class. Yeah. I think one, and I don't think one DD is specifically doing this, but honestly, there are five levels per tier. Get your subclasses one level earlier, I think, across the board. So, you, you, like, I think you need two subclass abilities every tier. It, I think it would be perfect for me. So, you're advancing a little bit more, a little more frequently, and you'd feel that flavor boost because if that's what a subclass does, brings out the flavor in, in your character, you need that shot more than once per tier. Yeah. And, it, and I just don't think anything does that enough. Careful. Soon you'll be singing my song about the subclass should be where all the flavor comes from and the class should just be a shorter canned list of abilities. So what you need to think about is the hormonal resonance that I am bringing to this discussion, Glenn, because while I am not singing your part, I am singing the harmony for your part. What I am saying goes perfectly with what you're saying, because I don't think you're wrong at all. I just don't think I make that point quite as well as you. So I'm going to stick in my lane on this one and just go, let's get a little bit more each time or each tier, not all at once, but space it a little bit more. If we're going to be giving feet to, uh, uh, to start the game, then you only need one feet per tier unless you're a fighter and that's your feature. So th- that takes care of that a little bit. Now let's spruce in those two little bits. So maybe level two is where we start getting all we, where we should get our subclass features. Now, this is pie in the sky it, because Wizards is not doing that. They are right. not doing we, We've that even already all. seen how they're setting it up and they did at least standardize so far they standardized so that's step one maybe five years later they'll see our way because they finally saw uh, i've been claiming standardization since since we started maybe what you talk about willis we've only had experts so far you've got at least three more class documents to put feedback in saying the same thing fair enough fair enough yep and i think that let's not forget too that the mechanical breakdown for Bard doesn't even stop there, where it's like they get a subclass feature at 6 and then at 14. They get no features at all at level 7 and level 11. They do get additional spell slots, but they get nothing at 7 and 11. So again, we can talk about... You it's know, got a little boop dash line in it. Yeah. The meat and potatoes of that campaign, again, right? Level 7 and 11 are huge levels in a campaign. It is the very... That's when you're starting to get into like your tier two big bad at level seven. You're starting to figure out who they are, what you need to go ahead and do, all that stuff. And I think that, look, every class is going to have a spot where they get less at a particular level or whatever. But having two levels so close together where they really don't get anything is really a travesty. So, and I hear what you're saying, and I am not backing off my point. I will say that. Supporters of that process, and Wizards will probably point out the fact that at level seven, they are getting their first fourth level spell. That's a big power bump. And they only get one slot, but that's when they get their first fourth level spell. Yep. When they hit 11th level, they're getting their first sixth, sixth level, level spell. spell. That's a huge power bump. We've had the discussions in our own creations where it's, man, when they get this other thing, that's really huge. That's a lot to get all at one level. And because they're not standardized, it leads to having to make some of these decisions and it just works out that they're just not going to get a market change over the next couple of levels. So I think that is a factor of the non-standardization rather than a specific design choice to not give them some. Did you know you could have been listening to this episode two days ago? That's right, because early access to our episodes is only one of the benefits that we offer to our Patreon subscribers. You can get early access to every show, exclusive content, and the opportunity to throw dice with your favorite hosts every month. Right now, we're running a membership drive through the end of November for our first anniversary. If we reach 20 subscribers by that date, we will start a regular live show. And when we get to 25 subscribers, we're going to open our tables for a second Patreon-exclusive game. So if the actual play episodes aren't your thing, you can still join your hosts on the download. For more details, go check www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys, where you can subscribe for as little as $1 a month. And thank you for enjoying the show. So, ish, and I say that 
because um, if you don't mind if I jump in with a quick counterpoint on it. No, have at it. The abilities that they do get and the way that they designed them. If you go look at the if you go look at the road rogue and the number of crazy abilities it has coming in as a previous expert between evasion and uncanny dodge and all of the things that they get. The bard has expertise, which is cool. I like expertise. I'm a skill monkey kind of character player. And they get a couple of other abilities like Song of Rest and Counter Charm. But aside from that, all of their progression is additional expertise and magical secrets. That's it. Yeah. They're, you're, they're, you're... They're, there's nothing else to a bard, right? Yeah, so yeah. they didn't put flavor in this in the main scaffolding. So we really need it in the subclass. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say this about you mentioned counter charm, which I suspect is pretty good. But let me tell you the dirty secret about counter charm. For all of the years I've been playing 5e and for all of the bards that I've played with, and I play in a campaign that is all bards, and we haven't gotten to that high level. So that's part of it. But I have never seen that ability used by any player at any time in any game. I've never seen it used in any actual play. I'm sure it has. Maybe I just haven't seen that episode. And those listening, if you've got a, an actual play episode where counter charge has been used, please put that in the comments. Get hold of us. I want to see that ability used because when I was reading through this, I didn't even know the power existed except for I read it on paper. That's how infrequently that ability gets used. And you're not wrong. When you look at it, it's effectively a performance that allows you to take a certain number of friendly creatures within 30 feet of you and give them saving throws against being frightened or charmed. Only those two, right? Yeah. Versus the paladin aura where you can just be within 30 feet of them and get a bonus to all saves. Yeah. Or yeah, it's just, it's not. It, it is so niche as to not count. You have to use your entire action for it. It's use your action and perform yeah. until the beginning of your next turn. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's that, till it lasts until the end of your next turn. So on your next turn, you can use an action, I right. guess, while you're performing. But yeah, that, that, that is not a good power. No, it's crap. By de it's crap. By it's crop. By definition, yeah. if you've never seen it done by anybody and you've been playing for six years, you play in two to three or you play in something like five or six games a month or f five to six different campaigns, yeah. you're playing 10 times a month and you've never seen it. That yeah. tells you it's not good. Yeah, no, it, it's because I think of how it affects the action economy. Like you're absolutely right, Glenn. How often we were fighting undead and so getting frightened was a realistic possibility, but at no point was the frighten at no point was the frightened so scary that it actually felt like, oh, we should really be taking extraordinary measures that it it's worth any of us taking our full action to make sure that frighten doesn't hit. Frighten is one of those things that because you get to go ahead and save for it every turn, sometimes it lasts a round, sometimes it lasts two, but it never lasts very long. And especially with bards, where it's frightened, most likely is hitting either your wisdom or your charisma, which you're pretty um, good at anyway. You're pretty good at anyway. Those should be well, your top two skills. So, to be fair, this would be something you'd be using to because I can see a use for it when you've got the giant barbarian with a wisdom of four and he's constantly yeah. getting charmed into whacking the rest of the party. Yep. All right. Yeah, Looking at you, you start that, you spend that action right before Zhu and Benito's game goes up to face Ripper Jack. So that Ripper Jack can't dominate him mm. and try to kill us. Yeah, all. But, but it only lasts still, for one round. Exactly. <laughs> it's one. And what yeah. if he doesn't do it that round? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's dumb. It's way too uh, niche. Yeah. They try. Yeah, and and yeah. even yeah. And even again, we, I, I talked about earlier about how like how too musically focused all of its stuff are. Like, what's the big flaw behind Counter Charm? If you're silenced, you can't use it, which means that there's nothing else that you can do to go ahead and inspire now. If I'm a musician, if I'm an instrumentalist, if I'm silenced, so what? That's I can I can't pluck my lute if I'm so it's just kind of it just doesn't make sense. Like it's got a big negative. It doesn't last very long. It's expensive. It takes again taking your full action again. If I was College of Valor, I get two attacks around. That's a lot for me to go ahead and give up to go ahead and make sure that I can't get frightened on that the off be, chance that I'm going to get frightened. Yeah, that would be much better used as a spell. Yeah, take that uh, out as an ability, recreate yep. it as a spell, 
as a reaction and, spell and, as a reaction spell and then you're and then you're golden yeah. like, and then like assign a, like, it a level based on what it is i would say yeah. probably second level and you're good to rock maybe third level yeah but because um, it's supposed to be six song, so you just shield be like the second level right and right, that's your counter right. charm or yeah. because i'm feeling the 90s here the denial the <laughs> denial <laughs> Nice. I like it. I like it. I like it. We knew what we were getting tonight. Like, really, honestly, like this is like, an episode all about bars. Let's like, we knew just what was going to happen. Say, there's a reason why Scanlan's hand is the most commonly cast spell and effect. Yeah, yeah. They don't necessarily yep. always get the best ability choices. Yep. Nope. Exactly. Exactly. Glenn, you talked about this earlier with magical secrets that they get at tenth level. Again, magical secrets—you have plundered magical knowledge, and you get to go ahead and be finally be able to pick spells from other spell lists. And great ability; it's well placed. It's the beginning of tier three. It's very useful once the bard gets it. So, really great from a mechanical point of view. It is a little sad that its best ability is the one that finally lets it do something that's not bard-like. I think that pretty much says all that you need to say about how mechanically poor the bard class is. <laughs> its best ability is the one that Although, lets it go ahead and do things that aren't bard-like. College of Lore gets magical yep. secrets that's at six. It. That's fair. Yep. Again, but even then, as a subclass that's feature... in favor of another class six yeah. ability. I was going to say, what I was going to say is that, is that Great subclass feature. It lets you get something that you get for the class just four levels earlier. Yeah, those four levels might be pretty important because, again, it brings it firmly into tier two instead of the end of tier two. But, again, that's that's not a great... It's not a great boost. You know what I mean? Like, College of Lore, let me get Magical Secrets at third level. Let me get it when I start the subclass instead of having to right. wait till sixth level. You know what I mean? Let like, them always choose. Make it a for real, exactly. Let them always pick. Make it a for real bump. Don't give me like a half, don't give me a half a cookie and say, enjoy your dessert. Give me the whole freaking cookie and let me eat my dessert. Like that's, I'm not going to be grateful for the half a cookie. Everybody likes cookies though. My counterpoint is this. I happen to be a big fan of magical secrets. I get what you're saying. It is not a perspective I had looking at this myself, so I'm not going to deny your points at all sure. i'm just gonna say that i really dig it at, oh yeah at, at the levels it shows up do i think it could be expanded in some ways yes probably yes should be yes um i i, I have seen i've got a bard in my saturday game played by my friend's son and the character's name is dylan the scribe and dylan is amazing with what he's done with magical secrets and is done some really impressive things. Great role player. And this is a person who's played this character from zero levels to his current level 15. So he's got put a lot of time in the last four or five years. He was the, one of the first people I played 5e with. And he started playing this character at 10 or 11 years old. I can say what I've seen out of the lore bard, I am highly impressed by. And while you bring up good points of what could make it better, I don't think any of that takes away from what the bard does. I, my thought is this. While we are pointing out things that would definitely make a bard more impressive or could be, could be better, my experience with bards is not many of these things have detracted from the value of a bard anyway. Hmm, like the bard is still an extremely powerful and strong class, exceptionally useful. It is ex exorbitantly dependent on your spell choice yep. and some of your role-playing choices, like what skills you pick and where you fit in the niche of your group. So when you're playing a bard, you need to know your group or that group needs to form, and you need to fill those holes in where your group is in order to make that play out very well. And that's the one thing I would say about bard. I don't think any of the things we're pointing out, which are all valid, take away from it. Yeah. I think that I guess the one thing that I would say to that is because I hear that I we found this in class warfare the versatility of the bard was really nice and the ability to go ahead and actually get things done was really nice and everything like that but if we're looking at the spell list and saying the spell list is lackluster and then here's the ability that goes ahead uh, that allows them to expand their spell list how can it be that the poor execution of magical secrets doesn't impact the bard's ability to play like I, like I, i'm trying to drill into that point a little bit because like we all admit 
the spell list isn't great until it gets to higher levels. Here's finally the ability to go ahead and expand your spell list. How can it, how can that ability being poor? I'm just repeating the same point. So go ahead and address. So I guess my answer to that is I never saw it play out as poor. I'm, I, as you discuss it, I am hearing what you're saying. And logically, in my content creative mind, that makes sense to me. However, as much sense as that makes, none of that translated to what I've seen at the table at, by multiple players. Like I said, I play in a game with five bards. Yeah. I have had two or three, I've had two or three bards at my table, even Glenn playing one of them. And I have consistently found that whatever we are in our theorycraft clean lab of content creation, all the things are pointing out as possible foibles or probable issues or things that need to be improved on never mattered. I found bards to be exceptionally game breaking. If you want a character that is going to consistently stymie a DM, it is likely to be the bard Hmm. because he's going to take that weird eclectic spell list and find something unusual to do with it that you never thought of. And I think that's what bards do better than anybody else, even with that odd spell list. It's that it can be used in very creative ways. Glenn is the champion of creative spell use, the champion. I've never had a player at my table use spells more creatively, deceptively, and fundamentally blowing my mind and frustrating me more than Glenn. And he's done that with clerics. He's done that with wizards. And he has, and for the limited time he played Bodhi, the College of Whispers bard in in my Northerners campaign, he even did it with Bodhi. I'm like, I didn't even see that coming. I just don't know how to plan for a bard. So I just plan for what do I do when things go off the haywire? I just let the bard win. That's my answer. (laughs) Bards break game. And that's why I think a lot of what we're talking is absolutely accurate in theory does not matter a whit on the game table. Yeah. So I would contend, my friend, that the reason that happens, the reason you wind up getting these out of left field, crazy concocted, there's there there's there may be a method to the madness, but there's still too much madness to the method concepts from the Bard is because they don't have any other choice to try to be cool and play the class and have fun. Because yeah. if they just play the bard as the bard is written, it's boring. Poke a guy with a stick, cast aid, heal somebody. You have to come up with ways to bring the bard's moxie into combat because that's what the character is based off of. They're based off of moxie, shit spot, confidence, right? So you have to come up with something crazy. Not everybody is the style of player who wants to have to look for the out-of-the-box solution in their abilities. Not everybody is a player who wants to look at all of this hodgepodge of, huh, and come up with a cool plan out of it versus playing a class where they already know they're going to have a cool plan. I think that's where the bard suffers. And actually where you say suffer, I see triumphs. No, I say suffer because the idea is to make as many people be included in the game and have fun as possible. I get you. But so I get it because when I play a bard, I do those things and it is great. But if somebody doesn't play the way that I do, they might not, they might have trouble having fun, fun with the bard. And then yeah. there's that, that's a problem with the class. And so for me, the reason I say that to me is a triumph of the class versus a, a foible of the class is this because I don't think every class is for every player. I think. Every player should be able to pick from a, a host of classes, but there are some classes that I just don't gravitate towards for whatever reason. The, and, I would and, call and, it the triumph of the player as opposed to the class. Just like you said, I've stymied you as a cleric, as a bard, as a, you know what I'm, and yeah. I'm not trying to toot my own horn. <laughs> yeah, but, but you have. And there are many players who've played at my table that are very frustrated because I'm hip to your hop, Glenn. But they don't <laughs> stymie me. Because we've got 30-some-odd years doing that, yes. But what I will say is this. I think that that if you at Watsi have written a class that may be a little bit more complex and may not be for the novice player or the newest player or the person who does not necessarily want to think outside of that box, 
I don't necessarily think that's a bad, a, a bad idea. I think that they have created something that lets those, in some cases, veteran players, or in some cases, those savant players, or in some cases, those players who want to stretch in ways that they've never stretched before players can move to and excel at and have a lot of fun doing different things. Hmm. Yeah. Because it's giving you something that no other class gives you. And if you've written something that utilizes everything that everybody else has, because every tool the Bard has exists everywhere. All trades, master of none. But if every single tool they use is exists elsewhere, what makes the Bard special is the fact that it's the one place where you get all of them and you get to figure out which pieces to use when and how. True story. And I think that is, and I think that is the triumph of the class and why it's a strong class. It is because I'm not, I'm not the biggest on spellcasters in general, so it is not my favorite class per se. But of spellcasting classes, it is among my favorite. It is probably my top favorite spellcasting class because I can play it different ways. I can lean into different things. I think a bard of variant types, the Valor Bard, makes a better fighter spellcaster than 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 or than a trickster rogue or or any of the other any of the other and i did that wrong but think that playing a bard of any number pick your subclass is better than a trickster i think a bard of any whatever is better than fighter with thievely things or in some cases a multi-class thief multi-class fighter thief because I think you're going to do those things better as a bard. That's just my thought. I don't know, bro. I think the ruffian could kick the kick just about any bard's ass. I think you're right, but I think a straight up fighter would kick a bard's ass too. Until they got into those high level spells, a ruffian might have some issues with the higher level yeah. spells on a lord. No, no, no. yeah. By the time the bard's high enough level, and he can throw out large spells that the poor ruffian's going to fail their saves. Oh on. yeah, like. When we were tossing around Psychic Lance, like when we had two or three hits on Psychic Lance every round that was going out, there was some significant damage being done there for one. Yeah, there was. Uh, and, and I did want to go ahead and say one thing real quick because you were talking about Spellcasters, Lina Nika. If I am being totally fair to the class progression of the Bard, remember we were talking about how they get nothing at 7, nothing at 11. Let's look at the Wizards, right? If we're being totally fair they get nothing on any odd level because they get new spell slots. So at least the bard is consistent with other full spellcasters where wizard gets nothing at 5th, nothing at 7th, nothing at ninth, nothing at 11th, nothing at 13th, nothing at 15th, nothing at 17th. If we're being fair, wizards was at least consistent with that, right? And it's only 7 and only 11. They still get stuff at the other levels, right? I think it's mechanically sound. It just has a bad play feel. It has a bad taste, right? There's nothing more disheartening than finishing an awesome adventure. Big battle. You've done it. You've got to the end of whatever. And the DM says, everybody level up. We're milestoning, right? Everybody level up. And you've got the fighter who's like, oh, I got this new feat. And I'm getting this other blah, 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 blah. Or I've got this new feature. And now I'm indomitable. Or all these cool things that they now get to play with. Or the extra attack or whatever they get on their variant levels every single time. And you get all these other people get these things. And you're like, I got one. I got one spell slot. Yeah, points and a spell so, slot. It's a boring level. It's a and boring level. Door. And yeah. while we're, I mean, if we're being, it's hard to be completely fair just because of the different number of different things that can go into the balance. But if we're looking at wizard as a comparison and their subclasses, they also get an extra ability over the bard. They get second level, sixth level, tenth level, and fourteenth yeah. level. Yep, totally. So that was one thing. And then the other thing that I wanted to say was on. Um, to glom on something else that you said. One of the things that struck me as I was reading through the Bard class, and particularly when I was reading through the subclasses, is that Bard would be a very compelling multi-class option for most players, I think. Because yes. the things that they get early, their spellcasting ability, some neat spellcasting ability, everything like that, would be a fairly compelling multi-class option. Or at least they would have been until all of the adept feats that were in Tasha's came out. Because I think the utility of multi-classing into Bard 
got lost when all of a sudden you could go ahead and pick up the magical adept feats and basically get the same thing that a first or second level bard gets as far as their spell as far as their spell list goes without having to go ahead and worry about the baggage and or lose two levels of your primary class if you can just pick it up if you're a fighter and just want to pick it up as a feat and still keep your fightery things i think that the utility of multi-classing into bard was lost with some of the adept feats. So I think it's lost to a certain extent unless you wanted a specific thing. If you're going for some specific subclass flavor, you still need to yep. multi-class to get it. If yep, you're going fair. because you just want to add first level spell or you want that booming blade or you want or what have you, yeah. you want that vicious mockery and booming blade I don't think is on their list. But Oh um, it is. Yeah. Maybe it's not because I know that I had it, but that might actually it's be not. because it's that not. might be because of, of the adept feet. Yeah, I took a feet. Yeah, but but if you're doing it for a specific ability or feature that is a little higher up, multiclassing still becomes something you need to do. But prior to that, you're correct. I think, but that was the purpose of the adept feats anyway. The purpose was to limit the need or want to multi-class and yep. the idea was we we're going to take class features pop them out of subclasses or pop them out of classes and put them out there so any for so free use so you can pepper and flavor your classes with other classes without having to sacrifice enough to the multi-class so it does make those calculations a little different after tasha yep, yep. Josh, great segue when you were talking about the changes that happened in Tasha's. I think the optional spell list was a big bonus to the bards. It, the things that they're saying to add were great. Some of the choices you get to make with the ones that replace are good as well. Magical inspiration, being able to get extra HP, I think is a neat option that can be useful depending on what you're going for. But bardic versatility as an option for your character and they did that with lots of classes. Lots of classes have some kind of versatility option where it's when you get a certain thing, you can change out the choices that you've made in the past. Having it written in is a valuable tool. Now, to be honest, it's a mechanical or it's a canonization of things that many storytellers were doing anyway. If you're playing at my table and you said, man, I'm just not feeling what I did. Is there any way I can do this? We might contrive some story stuff to come up with it. Or I might just say, yeah, go ahead and do it. Especially if it's something you just never used, right? If, you, if I never saw it in the game, if it never had an impact to the game, I'll let you swap it out anyway because it's not impacting the game. To have that canonized so it plays out when you're at convention games, when you're at pickup games, when you're at adventure league games, I think is a really valuable thing. It, good for the game, good for the hobbies as well. And it does make the bard a little more fun because you are not so worried about the choices you make when you level your character. Yeah. The one thing I will say about bardic versatility is that I agree with it in concept. I think it is weak sauce. The ability to go ahead and change an ability that you've got expertise in and the ability to go ahead and replace one cantrip with another, it should be way more comprehensive. It should be way more, you should be able to change way more things than just that. How about you, Glenn? We've thrown some shade. We've also talked about some good things. By no means is the bard not worthy, and by no means is the bard too complicated for you to try to play. You just got to bring your own style to it, and you got to, you've got to come up with your flavor because the class isn't really going to do it for you. It's going to give you a little bit when you talk about your college is going to give you like a couple of tablespoons of flavor, right? But you're going to have to come up with the rest of, of your bard, how they perform. But they're, it's more than just picking a couple of instruments if you really get into it. You, know, you can be a storyteller. You can be a musician. You can do interpretive dance. You could be a mime if you really want to. Come up with a way to be a mime. It'll drive your entire party crazy. Mm. Just refuse to speak and just sit there in your camera going, Everyone will love it. That was great radio. <laughs> right? I know. Just so you all know, I was doing the box thing. He's actually that, doing the rope, hand over hand rope thing at the um, same time. But the last thing I will say, just to throw a little bit more shade, because I can't help it. I do like the bard now, but I'm still, I'm a new bard fan and I still got some hate in my heart and it needs some more work. Because let me tell you, that is probably the worst capstone ability I have ever seen. At level 20, you enter combat with no uses of bardic inspiration. If you roll initiative, you get one. Yeah. It, it is weak sauce of the uh, top order. I actually had that in my notes. I didn't get to it because I wanted to talk about other things a little bit more. 
I mean, it was such a weak sauce capstone that it didn't even make my, I have to mention this is weak sauce kind of, kind of discussion. God, it, it just, it makes it feel like wizards thought that bardic inspiration was a lot more powerful than it actually is. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, you get a whole other use of bardic inspiration. It is you if know. you do it as a reaction, the way they're going to going forward, it becomes that a lot fair. more powerful at that point. Yeah, that's fair. Well, think, a lot more useful. They, not, it's not they, more powerful. They thought they useful. had that. Yeah. Yeah, but is it though? Because you're still fairly limited. It's only as many times as you have your primary casting stat. Yeah. And so at most it'll be five. Maybe it should be proficiency bonus. I mm. would agree, but even that only gets to six. You get it back on a short rest now too. Yeah, you, once you get past and that six for short rest is not shabby at all. Five for yeah. short rest at twentieth level. It really depends on your subclass. Most, we'll talk about that ne- next week. But yeah, yeah there's some so there are some subclasses that will burn through inspiration. And yeah. five is not nearly going to be enough. They need yeah. some kind of abilities to help you get more inspiration. I.e. College of Whispers. Away. Yeah, exactly. So final thoughts for me tonight aren't going to be Bard related. This episode comes out on November 18th. The three of us are actually going to be in person at HHLSCon in Connecticut tomorrow. It's over in Danielson, Connecticut. So if if you're in Connecticut or if, frankly, if you're in Rhode Island or Southern Mass, you are in striking distance. Come to HHLSCon and uh, join the three of us there. And uh, Eastern New yeah. York. Eastern New York, exactly, yeah. You just have to go ahead and traverse the entire state of Connecticut, which nobody Bro, wants to If ever. you're in Arkansas and want to come, we'll take you. <laughs> exactly, right, yeah. Anyway, we would love to you, love to go ahead and have you come out and say hi. Uh, we'll be doing some things there. We'll be running some tables, uh, probably doing some live uh, some live shows from the, uh, from the convention. So, yeah, it'll be a good time. Really looking forward. And I'm looking forward for the three of us being together again. It's been a hot minute since the three of us have actually been in the same room doing recording. So that'll be a, that'll be a good time. Right. We're going to have to definitely throw down on a big group hug. Absolutely. I don't, and, I don't and, know that we can group I, hug small. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, EllisCon <laughs> looks to be a great fun. I expect to see a lot of great people in there. My local game store will be there. They're going to be playing some magic or running some magic tables, magic games while they're there. Lots of gamers should be there. And the cool thing is this convention benefits a local high school, HHLS. It's a technical school down here and their D&D club. There are so many things that teenagers can get into that are not safe that to have a school that is willing to support and allow a convention to help support kids who want to do something that's creative and fun and builds their minds, builds their ability to interact with other people is just an amazing thing and couldn't help but want to be a part of that. And I'm glad that we're all going to be there. So absolutely, you're listening to us and you can get there. If you're not able to look at the links below, get to the website, see if there's other ways you can support this great club or local clubs in your area. There are a lot of high schools that are doing this. My son, we don't live directly where this, we're actually traveling a bit about 45 minutes away to get to this convention myself. But my son goes to a high school that has a club. Any clubs at these high schools for these kids support them. If, however my son can. was in a D and D club too, in high school, yeah. great cause, great thing to keep people and young people coming into the hobby. Come down, see us tomorrow. Yep. Say hi. Lee will sing you a song guaranteed. Yep. Maybe Absolutely. we'll give you a sticker. All right, we, I might be fibbing on the song. He could be busy. He might be running a game <laughs> that, that, that was just me putting him on the spot. I don't know what that song will be, but I'll sing it. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. We will be back next week talking about the subclasses episode. Yeah. Until then, take it easy, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Good night, all. Good night, all. Hope to see you tomorrow. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, at TT Journeys, by joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. And remember, if you want early access to all of our episodes, a chance to drop dice with your favorite hosts, and maybe even appear in one of our actual plays, you can join our Patreon to help support the show at patreon.com forward slash TT Journeys. You're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible. We would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform.
full episodes come out every week on Saturdays, and every Tuesday features our actual play episodes. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler along our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.